Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. Simply Stogies is a passion project that is fan-funded. If you enjoy the content Simply Stogies brings to you and would like to see more and different kinds of content, a website, more on-location podcasts with blenders, manufacturers, or retailers, or video reviews, please consider supporting Simply Stogies on Patreon at patreon.com slash simplystogies. Supporting Simply Stogies can get you a ton of perks, including instant access to bonus material, access to Simply Stogies Discord, including a Patreon-only channel, shoutouts on the show and social media, a monthly virtual herf with myself and other supporters, the ability to suggest cigar reviews, cool swag, or the opportunity to do a cigar review on Simply Stogies podcast. Thank you for your consideration and your generosity. Now, on to Simply Stogies. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back and relax while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and will probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. Uh, this week, we have a very special guest. We have the co-owner of Updown Cigar in Chicago, Illinois, uh, Phil Ledbetter. Phil, welcome to Simply Stogies. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a privilege for my first official podcast here. Yes, uh, I, I am honored to be breaking your podcast cherry, as it were. <laughs> Not sure, maybe. Not sure that's appropriate, but that's what I said, and we'll keep it in there. Uh, but before I, I get to you, Phil, we're going we're to dive into a lot of things. We're going to talk about Updown Cigars. We're going to talk about your journey. We're going to talk about COVID-19. We're going to talk about the PCA. We're going to talk about the cigar industry as a whole. We're going to talk about a whole lot of things. But before we do, I've got a little bit of housekeeping that I need to get to. Creative Brain Candy has a new podcast, Eyes Forward March, a new podcast from our very own Tim Allen, reviewer and writer for simplystogies.com. Follow the conversation and stories of a few non-commissioned officers or NCOs from all over the country who met while attending a leadership course. They will tell stories and have conversations that are not only entertaining, but ultimately build networking skills and the NCO core. You can check out Eyes Forward March and the rest of the CBC family of podcasts at creativebraincandy.com. I also have a couple of announcements for Simply Stogies podcast. First, I'd like to welcome David to the simplystogies.com team. David will be reviewing cigars, doing some writing for us. So welcome aboard, David. Look forward to his first reviews coming up in the next few weeks. Also, beginning July 4th, Simply Stogies Cigars and Coffee will be a new YouTube show hosted by myself and Tim Allen on our brand new YouTube channel. The link will be in the show notes and the inaugural episode will be available July 4th. So make sure you check that out. You can look at my ugly mug and Tim as we discuss cigars over coffee. I think that's it. That's it, Phil. Sorry. 
right. No I always feel uh, weird when I have a guest on and I've got to push all of that stuff out first, but it had to be done. So yeah, you got to pay the bills, man. <laughs> so to speak. Right. Yeah. So to speak. No, that's uh, probably the best way to put it. So Phil, again, thank you for coming on Simply Stogies. I really do appreciate it. Uh, tell us how you got started. We'll start at the very beginning where every journey starts, right? How did you get into smoking cigars? So I actually started smoking a pipe first. Um, when I was a kid in the eighties, one of my dad, my dad was a pediatrician at a teaching hospital in Texas where I grew up. Uh, and one of his best friends chain smoked a pipe. Like he had a pipe going in his office in the hospital cause it was better days. And, uh, every time we saw this guy, he had a pipe going, and I remember that smell and it was just such a cool smell and such a cool ritual. I was like, I'm getting into that. And so the, literally like, I think it was within 48 hours of turning 18 and, you know, I was living in Oak Park, Illinois at the time I went to Tinderbox. It's no longer there. Uh, got a pipe, got some tobacco and I'm like, this is cool. I'm a pipe smoker now. And unfortunately, no one in that store taught me anything at all about how to actually smoke a pipe or what the hell I was supposed to be doing. So I kind of fumbled around with that and struggled for a little while and then found like there was this brand called John T's cigars that were rolled with pipe tobacco and they were pretty nasty, but <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. So it didn't matter. And I got some of those. And then, you know, this was the late nineties at this point and everybody and their mother was smoking cigars. It was like the cigar boom. So probably in 97 or 98, I picked up some Dunhill tubos from a Sam's wine and spirits and tried them. And I thought they were shitty and mild and boring. And the cigar that really did it. I mean, at that point was the, the Hoyt de Monterey Excalibur number three Maduro was, was like that light bulb going off. This is awesome. This is what a cigar is. I love this. And that was really kind of the catalyst. And I'd been smoking long enough pipe tobacco. I was handling the nicotine. I never smoked cigarettes or anything like that. So the, the strength and the flavor was there that was lacking in some of the, the Dunhill stuff and obviously significantly different than the crappy pipe cigar, pipe tobacco cigars. So it was kind of like, that was the one where I'm like, okay, this is it. This is cool. I find it fascinating when new cigar smokers inevitably always start with crappy cigars. Like that's just, that seems to be a rite of passage for almost every cigar smoker and you're no different. So if it wasn't love at first puff, what made you pick up those, uh, the next cigar that, that, hid that light bulb for you i think knowing I, like i enjoyed pipe smoking so much and i still like i said was ignorant to like it was going out all the time like i didn't know what i was doing i didn't know how to pack the bowl right i didn't have a a bnm like i enjoyed going to to teach me at this pace i didn't even know up down existed and so i knew that i liked that thing and i'm kind of, i'm an old soul anyway like i didn't start really drinking alcohol until i turned 20 and it was straight into gin martinis and guinness <laughs> like there was no like no we weren't doing natty lights and bullshit it was like i just i liked that culture i loved the the cocktail culture back then when i really was paying attention to mixology and getting into the drinks and cared what sinatra drank and put you know i was all about the spirits and that class and elegance and cigars just fit that mold so well and it was like it, it, i had to find something and you, you I'd smoked enough pipes and, and understood the difference in tobaccos where I'm like, okay, this one crappy cigar is not representative of this whole culture. There's more to this. That one Dunhill you know, was a fine cigar. It just wasn't for me, but I knew that wasn't just the end all. And it's like, I'm not going to not keep trying because there's got to be something out there for me. And, and I just loved the, that whole 
smoke-filled rooms with a couple cocktails and good music and good friends. And like I had to do that. And and pipe smoking was such it's such a pain in the ass in public and especially when you don't know what you're doing. It's like cigars seem to be the the obvious choice to get into. I just had to find the right one to really suddenly click to make sense of this is where I want to start. I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit because you've brought up pipes. I am not a pipe smoker. My brother-in-law has tried unsuccessfully to convert me. There have been those at simplystokies.club who have tried to convert me. It will never happen. I've tried it. And you're right. <laughs> it, there is a lot of, there's a lot more to that ritual than there is to the ritual of cigars. And you didn't have anybody to teach you as a tobacconist now, like, is that, is that always top of mind for you when somebody comes in, especially maybe somebody younger or somebody who says, I've never done this before, but I want to try to get into these things. How, how do you, how do you lead them down the, the, the right road? You know, it's, it's part of the, the, this is going to segue into so many things we're going to talk about, but I, it was kind of realistically going into up down was when I actually was taught how to smoke a pipe. And the first time I went there, I was actually going to Zany's comedy club next door and saw up down cigar, up down tobacco as we called it then. And it was like, Oh, there's a cigar store here. This is cool. I want to check out and fell in love with the pipes. The selection was crazy. It was like my first real serious high end cigar store I'd ever been to. And that service was just walking through how to load the bowl. And they did that. I didn't even buy anything. They just took the time when they found out I like smoking pipes to, you know, walk me through it, explain some of the tobaccos. And maybe I bought an ounce of tobacco or something. I don't even remember, but it was a short experience, but it was like that service was everything. And it made me want to go back there, which I did like within 48 hours or something. And, uh, and it's part of the reason I wanted to work there so bad, which we'll come back to that. Um, and so, yeah, we've always taken that same look at it, you know, from my personal experience, understanding that it's such a foreign world when you first get into it, that you have to take your time and be patient and explain to people how it works and really give them a positive experience because they're going to be, especially with pipes, you're going to be frustrated when you're first starting. And if your frustration is also tied in with a crappy salesman at a store that's no longer in business in Berwyn, and you think, the hell with those guys, they didn't even show me how to do this when I clearly didn't know what I was doing. It's like, you remember that and you want to have the most positive impact you can because you're getting them into this, this family. And it's important to make sure that that first dip in the water is a pleasant one. Hey, you're right. This is going to, that segues into a whole lot of things we're going to talk about. Let's yeah, exactly. That, that's like a the kicker into the, the whole depth of everything. Yeah. There. So let's, let's get right into it. Let's talk about up down cigars first. There's a rich history there, isn't there? Oh, without question. Um, and you know, I always say it's not my store. It's it's Diana Sylvia's store. I'm, me and my partner Joel Crago are just are just keeping it going for her. Um, so I'll kind of whip through this here. So it's called Up Down because the original location was about a, just down the street, a half a block from where we are today, and it was like a three different stories or multiple levels. And so one floor had paper dresses and weird hippie stuff. I mean, she sold Sony Trinitron TVs at one time. Like it was a hodgepodge <laughs> of stuff. And it was also an art gallery. And then the basement had like every cigarette paper imaginable and, and old school dope pipes and cigars and pipe tobacco. And this was in 63. So it was called, uh, it got changed from Gerald Bernard Gallery, which one was an art gallery first to up down tobacco because you had to go up and down the stairs to get to the levels. And then it was thus called up down. 
and Diana Silvius was the, the founder. She was the one that got into the tobacco game, not her husband at the time. Um, that was kind of her falling in love with that and especially pipes, especially she was trained as an artist and, uh, and was our teacher in Michigan for a little while before she came to Chicago. And she always loved the artistry behind pipes, the artistry behind the humidors, the, just the whole, the whole culture and ritual and the product she fell in love with. Um, and she kind of, obviously this is early mid sixties we're talking here. And, uh, this is a woman in the cigar game. It was very, very unheard of and she kind of decided early on that her her whole plan was not to get sympathy for being a girl or anything else like that she wanted to be the woman who knew as much or more than anybody else so she actually went to the pipe factories in italy to see how they actually turned and made the pipes she went to the dominican in the late 80s and early 90s before any retailers were going there because she wanted to know more about the cigar process than anyone else so if anyone gave her shit or accused her for getting a free ride, she could be like, no, I know what I'm talking about. And here's why she was the first female president of the IPCPR as it was RTDA back then. Now PCA, she was heavily invested in the industry and, and she was fantastic, crazy person to work for. Um, she purpose built our store today and we moved in there in 1976. Uh, it's not crazy staircases anymore. It's all one level for retail. And then we have a, a mez level with some storage and then our office is above storage on the third floor. So there's still stairs, but it's not for the consumers, but she made it her thing where the most important thing in that place was selection and service. And we've always been almost overstaffed uh, during the nineties. I mean, we're talking a thousand square foot selling space and there were 35 people employed there because we were just churning through stuff back then. It was crazy. There's eight of us now just to put that into perspective. And so she always wanted the best service you could get. If you walked in the door and had questions, the people there had to know the answers. You had to have the best selection. Or if you saw something in Wanda box, we would have a box to sell, not just what's on display. And it was all about that culture and, and the passion and showcasing everything. Um, she carried every walk of life brands, but also really loved featuring the high end stuff. We were one of the first Davidoff appointed merchants when they came into the States. We carry Ellie Blue and DuPont and Dunhill and all that fancy stuff, plus the basic brains too. Um, so it's really like a showcase of cigars. And you can tell she does when you walk in on these, she designed the counters and the fixtures and, and we've changed a few things, but we always try to keep her mark on it. Um, so it's it's really an experiential place. Uh, there's no walk-in humidor. It's all just full floor-to-ceiling glass display cabinets of humidors or of cigars. So you can see most everything we have. Like it's just a it's a sensory overload when you walk in for the first time because there's so much going on in there. So we basically Joel and I kind of ended up where we are now because uh, she was getting older and and um, we kind of started working with her and her trust to put together a succession plan because she wanted to keep the store going. Um, her family wasn't involved, her daughters, and uh, so we kind of approached them with a a succession buyout plan that uh, we worked through over with for. We worked on that thing for like three years and finally got it over the hump. And, uh, I, you know, she ended up getting Alzheimer's and she passed away 21 days oh, wow. after we signed the deal to take over. Like it was kind of like she was hanging on just to make sure we got the deal done and we could keep it going. Um, she was an unbelievable mentor and a, and a great friend. We, we toast her at every event we do. I miss her constantly, but learning from her was the best education I could have possibly gotten. And, uh, and we had a great relationship where I would happily argue with her and tell her no. And <laughs> she, she hated it, but she also respected right. it. And 
when she was kind of less involved and I was managing and running stuff, I mean, she'd come in when I wasn't in the store and tell guys, Hey, we're going to do this and try this and blah, blah, blah. But, but don't tell Phil cause he's just going to say it's a bad idea and then we can't do it. I always thought that was hilarious. Cause I'm like, <laughs> Diana, it's your nickel. You're paying me to be here. You can do whatever you right? want. I'm going to give you my opinion, but it's we'll still do what you want me to do. So we had a great relationship. We used to play poker at her house like every couple of months. And it just, it was a great, great place to, to learn about cigars. And also if you don't fall in love with cigars, working with her, you're just never going to fall in love with cigars. All right. So there's a couple of things that I want to, I want to talk about, uh, but I want to first find out how you started it up down before you, you know, became co-owner and worked through this plan to, to take it over. Like what, how did you, like you walked in the store, you fell in love with it. Obviously. I mean, that kind of shows and you've, that love kind of deepened over time, obviously, but how did you, you're like, I want to work here. So at the time when I first discovered the place, I had been in and out of college. Um, At the time I was not in school and I was uh, an apprentice slash helper at a custom cabinetry shop on the North side of the city. Loved that job, learned how to build cabinetry and bars. It was a lot of fun, but I was living in Oak park, which is on the, the nearest west suburb and working in Edgewater, which is way north, almost towards Evanston. So I basically worked from nine to five, get off work, sit in traffic, and then either go to the bars with buddies or go home and watch TV and do nothing. And I wasn't getting paid very well because it was an apprenticeship. So instead of going out five nights a week and spending all my money on booze and tobacco, I decided I should get a second job. And when I thought about it, I'm like, well, that up-down store is open till 11 and it's literally halfway between my job that I currently have in my house. So I just started going to events and hanging around, getting a feel for the people and then saw an ad in the, the reader, which I know classified ads in the paper. I'm dating myself here. It's not that long ago. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but I saw, I saw an ad in the reader and I'm like, oh crap, they're hiring. I should go apply. So I went in and applied. I talked to the manager. I told him kind of my situation and he's like, hey, we actually filled the position, but you know, I'll keep you posted if something opens up or, or we have an opportunity to do something. You know, we have to train this guy, see if it works out. It may not, you never know. So just kind of, you know, keep checking in. So I think I probably checked in and was there or talked to him at least every two weeks, if not on a weekly basis, just kind of hounding my way, going to the events, hanging out there, buying stuff there. And finally that September. Um, basically I'd finally called and they're like, yeah, okay, you know what? Uh, Diana wants to talk to you. We're going to figure something out. And she basically was said, you do cabinetry and woodworking. We're going to remodel the, the fixtures for the store starting in January when it's slow. So you can start up part-time work the floor through the Christmas season, which we need to help anyway. And then in the first quarter when we're dead, you can help our cabinet guy and start working on the new counters and the new fixtures. I'm like, okay, that's perfect. Started doing that and then went through that probably six or eight months between part-time working there. And then the following year, same thing, Christmas hit, worked a lot, then built another round of fixtures in 2002. And that summer was when she kind of came to me and said, do you want to come here full time? And I said, hell yeah, because I'm getting paid better here than I was at the wood shop. And (laughs) I was having a ton of fun and learning about cigars and great people. I'm like, yeah, so this is, that was kind of the, after we finished that construction project, that winter was uh, the beginning of me working there full time as just a sales associate. 
and it probably was just another year after that. Just I really kind of dug in and asserted myself. I was so excited about working there that you know I, if I was standing still, I never stood still. I was cleaning. I wanted to make a good impression. I wanted to keep the job. I wanted to really get into it, and uh, it paid off because I think it was either my third year. I she Diana actually asked me to fly in for like twenty four hours, thirty six hours to go to the trade show in Nashville that year, just because she wanted some insight on what I thought was new and interesting. And that was like an honor of all honors because I'd never been to a trade show period as like a participant and to get to go with her was like, this is going to be cool. And that's kind of what I learned meeting the manufacturers and everything that up down was a way bigger deal than I knew about. Cause to me it was like a cool store in Chicago and didn't realize how much clout she pulled and every manufacturer knew her and wanted to be an up down. It was a big deal. Um, but yeah, that was the start. And uh, it was probably 2005. No, 2006, when I officially kind of became full-time manager. And uh, yeah, after that, I just kind of, I just kept asserting myself more and more. And as Diana was kind of stepping away, I would just kind of step in naturally and it just kind of took over everything. Wow. So let's talk about Diana here just a second, because it sounds like she had her finger on the pulse of a lot of things. And for a woman to break into the industry, especially in the time that she did, was unheard of without question. So when you translate that today, when women come into the shop, how do you, I don't know, how do you honor that legacy? Because I know from experience that women sometimes get treated differently in cigar shops. That's not to say that that's a blanket statement for every cigar shop. Cause I don't think that it is, but I, I know even as a new smoker, it, it's intimidating at times to go into a cigar shop because you don't know what the hell you're doing. You don't know what you're looking for. Uh, there are times I would walk into a cigar shop and just look, look at the pretty bands. Cause I didn't want to ask somebody cause I felt like an asshole or an idiot. Like, Hey, what should I be smoking? Instead? I would just keep to myself, look for the, the band that looked the coolest, uh, pick that one up, smoke it and hate it. And that's, when, that's like, that's the average guy, new cigar smoker right there. Right. Uh, for women, I feel like they have a hard enough time getting the courage up to go in there because they know there's just going to be a lot of dudes in there. Yeah. And so obviously it's the reputation for, you know, women that are starting to smoke and they're looking stuff up. They, if you read the history, they instantly are kind of are drawn to that anyway. Um, we're, we're kind of, it almost seems second nature. It is second nature to us now where we don't even think about it when a woman walks in versus a guy, it's just a cigar consumer as far as we're concerned. And you, you get the question a lot, especially with newer women smokers is, you know, what's a good cigar for a lady and our, and the whole staff unanimously will say the same thing. Every cigar in here is for a lady. Every cigar in here is for anybody who wants to enjoy a good cigar. There, there's no sexual orientation or preference in, in any cigars. It's, it's very open. And, and that answer always makes people feel relaxed because they kind of understand that we're not looking at them any different than we would look at anyone else. And like I kind of said, Diana was very service oriented for the store and we are too. So we make sure if you walk in, you're getting greeted. We're asking you questions about what you smoke, what you're like. If you want to come in and get out quick, we're certainly happy to accommodate that and love you for it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at the same time, we want to make sure you're getting the best experience you can. So and obviously we all have bad days and it doesn't happen all the time. So I apologize to those who may have not had that experience, but you know, that that's really the key focus. So we, we always make sure people feel as welcome as possible as inviting as possible. And, you know, even when the guys are hanging around, like they see us interacting with 
with women who are in for the first time or regularly and, and the customers and especially the regulars get it and treat those people with the same respect and, and enthusiasm that we do, or it's not like cat calls and leering. It's like they get excited hearing about here's a new cigar smoker. They start telling what they like. They start sharing opinions on what we pick out for them. Like it becomes such a instant you're in the community because you're in the store and we like you for being here kind of thing. So there's always that little bit of early nervousness, but you can diffuse that pretty fast and we, we make it a point to make sure we, we do that as quick as possible. And it's been fun to see the growth of women as consumers and activists in the industry. Uh, one of our employees, uh, Marquita Morris, she's been an absolute fantastic addition and she's a member of the Broadleaf Broads, which they come and hang out and a lot of the girls know me and know the store now and, and it's fantastic to encourage any groups that want to be into it and having women on staff helps, but I still like to do anything we can to make sure women feel as comfortable as humanly possible and that they're, they're one of the brothers and sisters of the leaf when they're in the store pretty much. Right. How have you seen the industry change over the years <laughs> since you started? Like it's changed a lot, right? Oh, without question. Um, I, I guess probably the best focus for that. I obviously you're talking, this was pre online ordering when I started, there was no smoking bans when I started, <laughs> there was still high taxes cause there's been high taxes for a long time, but like it, it was such a different world. But the, the most significant change e-commerce of course is, is the biggest monetarily, but the, the best thing really that's happened is, you know, in the late nineties, everybody and their mother wanted to make a cigar and they could sell it where you could take a bunch of literally dead leaves and throw some twigs and throw a wrapper on it and call it a cigar and you'd be able to sell them. And so, you know, it was, it was amazing because like that first trade show I went to in Nashville, one of the reasons Diana wanted me there is she wasn't smoking as many cigars besides the ones she liked and I was smoking everything in the store. So she wanted me there to help her kind of look at new lines and try stuff. And it was an effort to find good cigars, like not just cigars that were good to put in the store, but just legitimately cigars that were good, that were worth selling, period. And you switch that to today where all those crappy companies have been weeded out through competition and the, the, the realignment of the industry after the cigar boom. And, uh, and now the cigars we're smoking today are the best in history without question. Um, there's cigars in the, on the market I don't like, but they're not bad cigars. Like, and our struggle now going to shows is there's all these new releases every year and it's not a matter of finding what's good to bring in. It's finding what's good enough and stands out and is different and the relationships that matter now more than ever, because we have to, we don't have enough space for what's out there compared to the quality that we already have. So you really have to focus in on what's special, what's unique, what's different. How is this going to make the selection better? And what are you going to cut out because you don't have room for all this stuff. It's impossible. Uh, right. I think we're very supply side on cigars right now. And it's a, it's a problem that, you know, the industry is going to have to self-correct, but we're in this horrible cycle where everyone's more concerned with what's new versus what's new to them. And so retailers got in the habit of asking manufacturers for something new and manufacturers now depend on new to keep people interested in their brands. And, you know, the old days when I started, if you smoked, Excaliburs, that was your cigar. And you would come in and buy a box of Excaliburs once a month or whenever. And that's what you always came in for. If you smoked Punch Double Maduro, Double Coronas, that was your cigar. And we would have those for you. If you smoked Hemingway Signatures, that was your cigar. Now, that kind of anchor brand or, or 
staple product that one guy's going to buy all the time and keep that line churning is gone for the most part because everyone's looking for new. They're buying, you know, four different cigars and five of each versus buying a box of one. And it's really shifted on, on how consumers are buying and how the products are being released and the quality. But, but the quality is so amazing across the boards that we're, everyone should feel spoiled that we're smoking now and not 20 years ago. Because back then, man, right. there was so much crap on the market. It was unbelievable. Well, let me ask, let me ask this, because is this a, is this a product of, of consumers being consumers? Like, give me something different. Give me something different. Give me something different. Or is this a product of the consumers did that for a while? Like, yeah, I like new things. And now the industry is just like, oh, we'll just give you all the new things. Like, you want new things. Here's an LE. Here's an LE. I, like, I feel like the industry is a lot like Oprah Winfrey. You get an LE. You get an LE. <laughs> you get an LE. It almost, it borders on the ridiculous at times, doesn't it? Yeah, it, absolutely it does. And I, I think it's... Uh it's a multi-pronged issue. So, you know, going back to the, the early to mid two thousands, which was happening, you know, cigar guys wanted to make sure they could survive and you would see companies and it still happens to this day. And it always just makes me sad. So, you know, Hoyle or not Hoyle, even Hoyle is a good example, but back in the day, man, all those companies had like 10 facings of every line. I mean, we had like a Romeo chart hanging up at the shop and there was probably 15 different, formats available for one line of cigars and so in the store you would have 10 to 15 sizes and one's a 646 and one is six and five eighths by 48 it's like okay this is ridiculous and so you've seen that kind of thin down where now brands are coming out with three sizes and they're filling in holes with other brands and other releases and when guys were kind of building new products and reinventing themselves and expanding they wanted to present new wares because they had to, because so much of the stuff that was out there was crap straight up. Um, combining that with, you know, the internet really exploding and chat room starting and everything else kind of happening where consumers access to information grew so fast at the same time where they didn't have to go into a store to find something you could find it because it was online or someone was talking about it. And now you take in social media where, you know, there's, I'm assuming 10 billion pictures of someone's hand and a cigar posted every single day. Yeah. It's like, you're so inundated with stuff that your attention span is now so short. You always want to try something new, something new, something new. And it, it takes like a conscious effort to step away from that and just kind of think about what are you really getting out of it? Are you just consuming tobacco for the sake of trying? Cause it really, I think hurts your, your palate development a little bit because you need to smoke the same thing a few times to really recognize what's in it and get used to it and then try something else to see what the difference is. So it's important to try different things, but you also kind of, kind of have to make sure you, you do stick around in some areas because you're going to get more out of it. If you're just smoking a few of the same mild cigars over and over, and then a few of the same mediums, you'll really start to pick up on the nuances of those specific cigars and, and it'll help you pick out other nuances and other stuff later. It's always you know, especially getting involved in more of the forums and you're, you're talking to guys that are smoking a ton of cigars, but they've been smoking for like a year. I'm like, you're going to be smoking so many different things in two years from now than you are now, just because your palate's going to grow up so much and you're going to be able to pick out more things that everything's going to change anyway, because you're smoking so many different things. You're just blasting your entire sensory, it's sensory overload because you're just getting at so many different things. It's good to kind of focus in and 
and learn the nuances of the different stuff. That was a very long-winded qu- answer to a question. I think I got off track there. No, it's fine. That was a perfect answer. I think I think you're right on a lot of things there. Your palate does shift. I've only been smoking honestly uh, for two years this month. Two years. Uh, Happy anniversary. Uh, uh, thank you. And I have gone down the rabbit hole. Uh, uh, CAD is a problem. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, hey, man, I, I, I'm a complete, and I refer to them as the nerds of the cigar dorks, but I'm 100% one of them. I mean, I have more cigars in my house than I'll ever smoke, and then I have more stash at the store, plus I own a store full of them. I, mean, I, love, <laughs> I love cigars. I absolutely love these things. And, you know, that's why I forced my way into this store and was ecstatic to, to try to take it over. And, you know, before we got the transition done with me and Joel, we were actively looking to open our own store for like years. I mean, it, this was a long term. I was planning on 100% staying in this industry, being in this industry. There's nothing else I want to do. I enjoy retail. I enjoy sales. I love the interaction with people. I love sharing stuff that I love. So it's like a, it was a natural fit. And, it, and it's part of the fun of this whole thing is, is nerding out and, and getting in all this stuff and the details are just tra- fantastic. Yeah. I want to talk about the community a little bit because I think owning a cigar shop, I mean, you interact with the community all the time and I, when we, I don't get to a lot of that here in a little bit, but I, first I want to, you, you mentioned something after the nineties boom, you said that there was a self-correction that happened in the industry and with COVID-19 impacting retail everywhere. Do you think we're going to see that same kind of self-correction now? I don't think it's a, I don't think it's necessarily a, a correction that I would like to see. Um, I think it's a, for the right stores. And I I think you're definitely going to see a, a, a shift in patterns and consumption and care because people have had time to sit and smoke cigars more and, and, it's evident from sales. It's evident from communications. You know, guys are smoking a lot of cigars. It's, it has happened at the beginning of spring. So the entire Northern part of the United States can now go outside again and smoke a cigar. So I, I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a, a realigning, but you're definitely going to see some major shifts and changes happening. Not all the ones I like. And, and I, unfortunately one of the more, critical ones I think needs to happen is definitely not going to happen because of this, but there still will be many other changes with our store included. I mean, it's been an absolute eye opening experience for this and, you know, knock on wood, we've done extremely well with a lot of hard work and and effort, but it's really, uh, you know, strategically thinking of what we're going to be doing. This, this is a game changer for a lot of ways and a lot of them are very positive. You said that there was, there was one that you didn't think was positive it's not really because of COVID it's just the ongoing one, which is my, my despising of, of brands answer to maybe slowing sales is to put out something new. And there's certain companies that have fallen victim to this as they've either gotten older and kind of rebranded themselves or have tried to find a way to capture more of a very small market share. And that's the answer is new. And, you're either a company that has some staple brands and then you have new stuff that kind of trickles around that, or you've got no identity besides here's what's new. Here's what's new. Here's what's new. And so your brand is kind of a revolving door where, you know, the old stuff's not even sustainable because the company's forgotten about it and the consumers have definitely forgotten about it. 
because everything is always new and they just go chasing the new stuff versus kind of having that staple core, you know, what is your cigar? What is, what cigar is a Fuente? I would argue it's an 858 natural. That's kind of the cigar that is Fuente. That's their core product. That, that Grand Reserve line, the 858 specifically, the packaging even stands out because that's like their thing. You know, Davidoff has the Grand Cruz and the Millenniums. They have their core. Padron is basically just one big core. Um, Pete has the Miami label. You know, Rocky, to an extent, has the Vintages. Ashton has the Ashton Classic. Some of these guys have their staple brands. And then some guys, it's like, what is your anchor product? And they don't really have an answer for it because they either haven't been around long enough or they got stuck in the cycle of new, 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 new that there is no core. It's just everyone's looking for that new and then they smoke it and they try it. And if it's good, yeah, I'll pick up a little and then they move on to the next thing. So the brands never get any actual legs to stand on their own. And, it, and you know, that's going to take a, an effort for more consumers to stop asking for new, but ask what's new for me. Like ask, Hey, I haven't smoked a lot of cigars. Give me something new that I've never smoked. I don't care where it came in the market. Right. Um, it's going to take retailers, asking that question of consumers when they say, hey, what's new? Say, well, what's new to you? Because you probably never smoked a Hoya de Monterey S caliber number three Maduro, and that's the cigar I got in the cigars, but you should try it. Uh, and then it's going to take consumer, and, and then it's going to have to take a little strategy on companies' part to, to, to take it in the chin, thin their portfolios, spend time marketing their classic stuff, and put it back in front of people because it's going to be a new cigar for so many people that it's kind of just a, all three partners in this cycle have to kind of line up together and, and be willing to focus on that to really make a huge difference. And it's, we had a thing with uh, Jose Ortega, who's the sales VP of my father last Saturday. And it was great because when him and I were talking about the, or it was Friday night, sorry. When we were talking about what cigars we wanted to feature for the kids. He immediately said the Dom Pepin blue label. And I'm like a hundred percent. Yes, it was there. That's like Pepin cigar. That's 2003 the cigar that made Pepin, you know, a, a, available to the world. Like that's their staple core. It's called the Pepin original. And I love the fact that he suggested that to put in the, the tasting kit because so many new smokers haven't ever tried that cigar. And even guys who have been smoking for 15 years, haven't tried that cigar. And it's a fantastic example of what Nicaragua is. And that's a new cigar. There's a lot of people, even though it's been out since 2003. So that, that, that kind of, sight and focus and thought process really has to take hold for everybody to make a significant shift where we can kind of pare down and, and make really, really good cigars without having so many brands and needing so many brands. Cause it's just, it's totally oversaturated now. And, and maybe this is just uh, me being uneducated, but I feel like you see a lot more LE and new things all the time from boutique brands, quote unquote. Right. Boutique Definitely. brands and not so much like, like you said, Padron, everything Padron is a core <laughs> that they don't ever come out with a whole lot of new and different stuff. That's not to say that they don't, but it's few and far between. Yeah. And I think there's three Padrones that have come out that you can't still order in some form. I mean, it's like, it's tiny compared to the, the depth of their portfolio. And even the stuff they launched as a TA exclusive, almost all of them just get folded in as a regular part of the line after the fact anyway. So it's not like they're doing new blends or very often. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, there's definitely companies that are doing it well. It's um, you need to have something new. The limited edition thing is it's a total blessing 
and a curse. It's good because it keeps brand awareness happening. But if you do it all the time and overdo it, or the numbers are so big, we're like, why is it even limited? Or it comes back in a redo. It's like, okay, this wasn't actually that limited in the first place. Like, why is it limited? Is right. it celebrating an actual anniversary that matters? Or is it just your annual anniversary? And, you know, some companies do it because they straight up need cash conversion. Um, I think there's some definite truth to a lot of it is happening to get cigars out and blends out that the FDA may not allow to happen in future. So the attempt to get some predicate dating set and put brands out there. So there's at least some market history is a part of that, which I think is a good thing, honestly, considering the political world we're in. Um, But there's, you know, without any more meaning behind it, 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 it's completely overdone. And if it's not special, it's not special. Let's talk about, let's talk about that for just a second. Do you think if the FDA backs off, or if the FDA does what they say they're going to do, either way, do you think these LEs will slow down? Uh, without question. Okay. And I think it's going to really depend on the integrity of the brand if they want to play by the rules, which I know for a fact there are plenty of guys that will. Um, some dudes will try to skirt it and get around with it. And you know, depending on the, the zeal of the FDA, then it'll either shut them down quickly or they'll be able to get away with it and people will continue to bend the rules. Um, you know, fortunately there's so many cigars that aren't on the market today that were before that actually were good or could get tweaked and re-released. And there's so many questions about predicate dating and substantial equivalence. Like a lot of details are going to have to be worked out after the courts work out the current phase that we've got a lot of time before this is really going to hit, hit hard. I think I'm hoping. Right. Um, but I think you will definitely see a, a, a drop in some of that limited aspects and, have more focus on kind of core stuff, which I think will be, you know, honestly helpful to consumers and manufacturers because it'll be thinning out all that hoopla and letting people focus on really good cigars that they already make. Or you can take it a step further and, and, and shift people's focus and get more people educated on how different the size actually makes to align. Where if it's guys that only smoke five by 52s, okay, there's nothing new for you to try. Well, try a Lancero because it's going to be a totally different experience. It's a new right. cigar, even though it's the same blend that you're smoking. It's a new cigar because it's so different. So there's a lot that can still be considered new and positive, even if we can't keep having all these new releases. Yeah. I, I hate to even talk about the FDA because I feel like a lot of it's so up in the air. So I, I, I'll kind of move away from that. I want to know. I'll happily move away. <laughs> with you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how COVID-19 has impacted up down cigars. What changed for you guys? How have you, you know, had to change your business model uh, to stay uh, afloat, to stay, you know, uh, in the green or in the black? You know, it's uh, honestly, it's been groups like Discord groups and Simply Stogies and Facebook groups have absolutely saved our butts. Uh, Our website is grotesquely embarrassing and outdated. And we never really got around to doing anything with it, which we should have 10 years ago, just because we, you know, we're a very high volume store. We're open 13 hours a day. Well, we're, um, we do events once a month, you know, six, five to seven months of the year, plus a big fat Tuesday party every February. Plus we got to live our lives as well. So we kind of just, we're always focused on in store and doing a great job at it. And did and Illinois is a high tax state. I'm heavily yes, involved is. in, in that stuff and the tax issues. And I know what States chase other States taxes 
and it's, it's cumbersome and it's hard to build a site that can handle all that for you because you're, you know, some States will go after the consumer. Some States go after the retailer. It all depends. So we never really wanted to spend the time and energy on the website because we know we couldn't make an impact on the big dogs anyway. Um, your Holtz and JR and all the big houses that are just blowing stuff out at margins that we can't afford to sell at. And sometimes those prices are cheaper than what I pay for them anyway. Um, <laughs> right. So COVID started, we got, we had to close, but we, we were allowed to be open for staff to be in the store and to ship products. It's kind of bare minimum business essentials. So kind of the first week, like, let's do some remodeling. Let's get stuff done. That, you know, we never put our employees on furlough. We kept paying them in full. Joel and I worked out kind of a budget of how long we could do that. And we were going to pay everyone as long as we could without having to close the doors permanently. So we kind of budgeted how much we were going to do. We started working on remodeling and some minor projects that were just way overdue in the store. And it took me about four to six days to realize we're not getting calls for hardly anything. There's nothing coming in. We got to do something about this. And coincidentally, one of the calls I took was from a guy on, uh, actually, no, let me rephrase that. A guy tried to place an order on our website and our site sucks. We have to call everyone and verify their shipping address and their card info and just make sure it's going to the right place that it says it's supposed to. Right. And the guy was so happy to get a phone call when he ordered cigars and talked cigars with me for five minutes. He's like, you should get on our Facebook group. Okay, sure. I'll do that. So I did and started just talking to people and posting what I was smoking and answering questions. And another guy had called and was looking for something specific. And I talked to him for a while and he invited me to join his discord group. And that became another medium. And so my days went from worrying about remodeling to being online and exposing the world to up down, but not in like a, a hustling kind of way. I never wanted to seem insincere about these guys wanting to be a part of their communities and not just show up and like, Hey, I got this for sale. You want it? Okay. No, bye. Um, so I, I make it a point to, to check in all the time with these guys. I'm reading the posts. I'm liking pictures. I'm commenting on what I'm smoking, answering questions. And that sense of community and straight up going back to my cigar nerd days when I could literally just be online and nerd out all day generated so many orders and interest in business that it completely bailed us out where we shipped more cigars out of Illinois than we sold in store in March or in April and in May. Wow. And it, it, that's never happened to us before. I mean, we never focused that heavy. We ship all the time. Yeah. To our regulars that have moved or whatever else, but never anywhere near what we're doing now. And a lot of it is chasing, you know, old stuff that we have like old Tatawahe TAAs. We had our, we got a re up of the, our Tatawahe Mardi Gras exclusive. You know, we do a ton of stuff with Pete and I think partnering with his brand is also one of the reasons that we've been successful during COVID is that we, had him on a, a zoom event and just, it was the best event we've ever had ever in store or out. I mean, insane response. We had 114 people signed up for it and buy a kit of cigars. And we had over 80 on the zoom meeting. And, and that was after the first program I tried to run a zoom meeting on failed miserably. And we could only get 50 guys on and We had to literally log off, send out a new link to a different platform. And, and Dan from surrogates had a zoom account. So we switched to his account. And it, like 15 minutes later, we had 80 something people online still at this event. It was incredible wow. that they were willing to put up with my technological <laughs> lacking and poor planning because we'd never done anything like this before. So it was all new to me. I am, a, I have a Facebook account, but I've never been active on it until now. I have never taken the time to get on the, 
the Reddit stuff because it just takes a lot of time and usually I'm busy in store, shifted around hours. We're not open 13 hours, so now I can actually allocate staff to handle the boxing up and shipping and helping customers in store so I can be online and chatting with guys and talking. And it's, it's really, you know, I've got some projects lined up that are going to be, you know, first release just for forums like Simply Stogies and my Facebook buddies and my Discord buddies because it's so impactful and so meaningful of not only how inviting people have been, but how supportive they've been after the fact. And I, I, I like to think it's not just because we're doing deals and have unique stuff. I like to think that it's also because they're getting a sense of, of how much myself and my guys care about cigars, that they're getting it and want to be involved in the community and in the aspect of what we're doing. And then we're not just, you know, Joel and I are just two guys that would be fun to run a cigar store. We wanted to run a cigar store and hopefully make some money on it, but that was that's the only thing I want to do now. Right. And uh, we we try to convey that and build that and be a part of people's communities and invite them into our community. So, because that's really what it's about to me. I, it's it's what makes cigars so special. Fortunately, now you know summer's coming. We've got you know relaxed hours and opportunity. People can come in the store again. So, you no know, business is great because everyone in Chicago has been clamoring at the bits to get out of their house anyway. Right. And the weather's been gorgeous, and the cigar store's open. So we're starting to see our regulars again and and get to hang out a little bit. But it's been it's been wild. I mean, the buying habits are so different. Where guys are buying in boxes because they can't come to the store every day or two days so they got to stock up and then they go home and they smoke them all because they have nothing else to do so they're smoking too fast <laughs> so it's actually been good for us in that regard but that'll level off obviously when we get back to some sense of normalcy but but straight up i mean we're we're here and open today because of what the online community has done for sure so let's talk about community then as a whole uh because i think the cigar community is a l- little bit different than most other communities Without question. Yeah, all right. So you had your community, your small knit community, and I say small, it's Chicago. So it was a large knit community uh, there for up down that you had your regulars, you had your guys that would come in and buy and smoke and, and have a good time. And now suddenly you had to move to an online community. Do you think once there's a sense of normalcy, do you think the online communities will stick around or do you think you're going to, you're going to see a lot of those fade away and then the sense of normalcy is going to, once again, be about smoking with other people and interacting with your, uh, you know, brothers and sisters of the leaf. Are you talking for me per- personally or just the, the cigar world in general? In general. I, and you personally, I think I, I, you have a unique perspective because you, you, you get to see firsthand the impact that COVID has had on your community. And it's a, I'm guessing it's a rather large community because of where you're at, where the, the online communities they, they tend to start slow and then they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. And they grow. It will, will this, this big growth that we've seen of online communities, uh, are you going to continue doing these things once the, the normalcy comes back? Is up down going to continue to do these, do these things? Like, is the shift going to be from in person to online or is, are you going to go back from a, don't worry about the website. Let's just focus on, you know, who's in the store. For us, I can say without a fraction of a doubt that the the online community is is a hundred percent part of our future, no matter what. Um, I think the interesting thing from you know being on the forums is going to be seeing how much less time other participants have to be involved. Because I mean, some of these things, I'm just like, when do you people work, and when do you do anything else besides comment on these freaking things? It's baffling to me how. <laughs> 
how much people are on these things. Welcome which is to great. social media. Yeah, and, and I'm not a social media guy. So for me, it's like, good Lord, I had to literally remind myself to log into some of these things some days because I'm just so not used to doing it. And like Simply Stogie's Club, that it's such a big forum. And like, Jesus, where's Discord where it's four channels and really easy? <laughs> this is really overwhelming to me. Right. So, so I, I, yeah, I haven't gotten as heavy into uh, Simply Stogie's club because of the fact that it's so vast it's just hard to do it when i've got so many other things happening um but it for you know for for up down on myself personally this this is 100 percent. i i'm convinced it's what i want to keep doing and it's not just the business aspect it's been the connections and people's appreciation of of the time and the education and the information and they like being a part and engaged in that. And I like being the guy to bring it to them because I, I will tell them the truth about what I think of stuff and people enjoy that. And I mean, to give you an example, we've been doing Zoom events, either meetups, some of them are ticketed with cigars, some of them are just free pretty much every week. And we've had at least 20 on every single one, which for a small store that's never done this, I'm happy with. With our, our first couple, we had you know, 50, 60 guys plus. We've had a, above 50 on a few of them which is tremendous. It's been a lot of fun to learn from that and get people engaged. And some of the guys have been on every single one of them since the beginning and they don't live anywhere near Chicago. And that's awesome to me because they actually care. And, and I'm, I have to assume they see how much we care. So, I mean, I can, I'll tell you flat out now, we do a huge one. Or we have two big staple kind of in-store events every year. It's Fat Tuesday with Pete and Datuai. And then we do Davidoff in August. And I've already started talking uh, to our regional manager about our August event, and it's basically becoming where it's going to be a two-day event, one day in-store where we're going to actually set up a camera and stream the patio so people can see the event and hear the announcements and all that crap. But then anyone who buys a ticket, in Chicago or not, is also going to get to participate in a, a, a blending session that will be virtual with Jeff Stone the next day. And assuming we can still have people in the store, we're going to stream that live on the patio as well. So guys can just sit out back and watch the, oh, wow. the presentation, but also have it where anyone who's online can ask questions and hang out. And, and, and we want to keep that integrated where if I've got an event in store with somebody important, we want to make sure that the guys who live in places where they don't get to visit or have never heard about or are interested in learning about, we can bring something to them too. So, so that aspect, it's not going to be every week. I, there's no way. Right. But, you know, we do our big monthly event. That's going to happen. Tying in some other side events every couple of weeks. Absolutely. I'm, I'm already, I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm having so much fun with these damn things and I have not been on one of these zoom chats for less than five hours so far because we <laughs> tend to keep drinking and smoking once the guests are done and we just kind of keep hanging out with people. And I don't tell them I'm tired of you people. I want to go. I, I have fun with it. I love doing it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I mean, and, and even like our website redesign, it's, it's kind of gotten me rethinking on how we want to build it, where I don't think that just a straight come in, click and buy, and that's it is really the way I want to go. And I'm, I'm trying to explore some ideas and options where there is, it may be very, very short because some people want to just click and buy, but there's going to be some level of engagement with the person from the store on every order just to at least say hello or thank you or, you know, have any questions, make sure our stock is actually what we have and, and just have some sort of integration where there's a quick chat or a quick question or a little pause. And I think the guys who care, who are willing enough to want to buy from us and be engaged and not just price shopping 
will appreciate that because I've already seen guys appreciate it just from the, the business we've been doing the past few months. No, uh, absolutely. I would agree. I think, I mean, smoking, cigar smoking specifically is a, it's a social sport. It's supposed to be. So yeah. I think there are, I think you're right. You're going to see a lot of uh, people want that interaction. And I think that uh, like, I'm looking forward to see what that looks like when you're done with it. Yeah. And it's, we're trying to kick around the concept to figure out how to do it. That's, it's not inconvenient, but also demands a little interaction from both sides because I think it's, it's more interesting that way. For sure. I want to quickly touch on, again, I want to go back to the industry just as a whole. It seems like, and again, I'm on the outside looking in, uh, that there's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of, um, not everyone getting along and we don't always have to get along as Glenn loop said on the last episode, it's okay to disagree. However, in a time where the FDA is, is, is looming and looming large and federal regulation can come down, it seems to me that uh, the industry kind of needs to get its act together a little bit, come together as a whole and push back against it. And I'm not sure that that's happening. You want to talk about that a little bit? Like, give me your perspective as an, I mean, you're an insider. I, I certainly can. I mean, I'm on the, my second term on the PCA board and it, Looks like that's going to continue for a while. Um, and I could talk at length about the PCA if we want to get into that thing. But, you know, I, the, we've had a lot of conversations and, and I think COVID is actually going to be an interesting catalyst for people to start getting their acts together and, and kind of start looking more big picture and recognize that it's important to be unified first and in fight after the fact, at least once we're in the same house, so to speak, where if all we're doing is sitting in different houses and yelling at each other while trying to get in, you're never going to find enough common ground to move into the same house. If you just agree that we're together, let's move in together and live this way. And then we have the infighting inside, at least we're under the same roof and same tent where you can't leave because then you're out and you're way out. So let's work these problems out together. And, and I can't get into a lot of detail, but I can tell you that with a lot of the PCA board calls we've been having, there's been a lot of really, really interesting ideas and some really good communications with multiple industry partners where I think we're going to see some really, some really good stuff happening, hopefully within the next couple of months and definitely in the longer term. And, um, and it has to happen. I mean, flat out, it, it, this has to get done because if it doesn't, it's just going to become more and more segmented and people are going to lose their jobs and they're going to lose their companies. And it's, it's, it's a massive problem that it's not going to help anybody to keep the way it's been happening over the past couple of years. But I think we're finally getting some meaningful headway where there's going to be enough of a good solid core of people that get that idea that, you know, we can do this together. We can work out our differences the courts are going to work some of these differences out for us anyway. Right. So let's stop worrying about all this stuff and let's worry about the big picture that we have to be one voice together in the same house. If we're ever going to have any real weight anywhere, because strength in numbers is everything. And if we've got CAA on one side and CRA on one side and PCA on one side, and then whoever else in another camp that just shows up all of a sudden, plus we're dealing with, you know, Altria and Swisher has their own companies and Altria has their own lobbyists. Like it, it's, how do you get, expect to get any policy happened if one con congressional aide who's 20 years old and doesn't know anything about tobacco anyway has a meeting with five different people representing, quote, cigars and can keep straight all the differences? Like that just gets put in the junk bin. 
Right. So the, the message has to be solidified. We have to look at bigger picture stuff, start with the basics, come together on the basics, and then all the little stuff is going to work itself out through meaningful conversation or legislation that we can't argue we argue so much that we just get told what to do. That's, that's pretty much how I see what's going to happen. Right. How does the PCA play into that? And, and <laughs> I, I could give you my experience. I'm a PCA uh, industry partner, I think is what they call it. Like basically yeah. media. Mm-hmm. How's that going to work? I think the PCA has done a great job letting small business know what resources are available to them during COVID. I think they have done, if that's one thing that they have done right, that's it. Every day while this was going on, they were having something. They're always putting out statements like, hey, if you're a small business, here are your resources. You know, here's here's who can help you. Here's how the loans work. Here's how the loan forgiveness works. Here's this. Here's that. I think they've done a fantastic job with that. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I, and I think it's been really, really refreshing. And as a board member, happy to see how much the staff in the office has really taken charge of that and executed it extremely well. Because quite frankly, and I've told them, and, I'll, and I've said this in front of board meetings, we have royally shit the bed on so many messaging issues and so many communications over the past years not out of incompetence, but just out of being too sensitive to all the different factions and voices. And it makes it really hard to be a driving voice and a driving organization when kind of going back to what you were saying about, you know, the industry being too separated, it's hard to be the definitive voice when no one wants to let you be the definitive voice or they're going to come around and say something else or certain people are going to, spout opinions as facts and completely ignore the how much effort and work and detail and nuance and politics politics are involved in all these decisions that you can't just flip a switch and say we're going to do this now and it affects the whole industry and they don't want to do it so the pca i think it completely shit the bed on some issues not all of it was necessarily the pca's fault but a lot of it was just not being willing to be aggressive enough on the messaging and really take ownership of things. I think because they're being a little too overly accommodating and overly sensitive to what other people, how they would react to our positions, so to speak. Right. The prime example that I will give to anyone who asks was the, the concept of the consumer day at the show, which I was and still am an absolute huge advocate for. None of the reasons I'm an advocate advocate for that were relayed correctly at all. Um, we got caught up in answering questions versus presenting an idea in an effective way. I still think it's a great idea. I think, and I'll say this now, a lot of the manufacturers really screwed us because the manufacturers were actually the ones that presented Consumer Day to the PCA. That's a straight up fact that this was not the PCA board sitting around saying, hey, maybe we should have consumers coming. This was the manufacturers, the AMAB, saying, we need to raise more funds for legislative action. We need to get consumers involved in a bigger scale. We should let consumers come to the show and do a big consumer day and let them see the booths. And the board said, that's a great idea. Let's execute this. What do you guys think? And we talked about it for a while. And then once we actually got to the point of announcing and people started thinking about the logistics that go into this, melding a convention, turning a trade show into a convention, all of a sudden the manufacturers started shitting all over it very vocally and publicly. And it really put us in a, an unfortunate spot because 
we got too bogged down in responding to those questions and criticisms versus presenting the idea for what it actually was and selling it. And we just didn't sell it well. And we got kicked in the, and stabbed in the back by some of the people who were really on board in the beginning and then decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And it was unfortunate. But I think it's, it's as far as I'm concerned, as while I'm on the board, that idea is not going to be dead. And I think there's a lot of potential there to really bring the industry closer than it's ever been and do something really, really special that not only is a lot of fun, but really sends a message to the political aspects and to and gives us a real meaningful voice and strength in numbers that, that you know, anyone who has a better idea, I want to hear it, but I haven't heard one that could really unify people and get people so excited as that would. Let me, let me, uh, cause you, you, you said the manufacturers brought that to you guys and said, I, you know, let's do this. You have the PCA that is for the retailers and you have the CRA, which is basically the manufacturers, right? That's who's on their border manufacturers for the most part. Yeah. Wouldn't it just behoove everybody involved to have one entity and not two? Like you said earlier, you've got this intern, uh, a congressional intern that's trying to figure this all out and he's getting messages from lobbyists everywhere. Why yeah. can't, why, why can't we have manufacturers and retailers both on the same page? Well, the reason something like that hasn't happened so far in my humble opinion is that everyone got so bogged down in the negatives and the difficulty of the integration and we're shitting all over every idea that everyone, as that happens all the time, loses sight of that big picture and what's the goal. And, and those details would have worked themselves out had we come to the idea that this is the idea, let's execute to the best of our ability. And instead it got bogged down into, well, why aren't, how are we going to do this? What's this going to look like? And so no one will agree to doing it because they're too worried about all these little details and little picture stuff versus big picture. And it, it, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, if you look at an organization like the NRA, which I hate using them as the example, but it's a, it's a ridiculously good example to use because I'm a gun guy. I love pistol shooting. I go bird hunting. I mean, I've, I'm from West Texas. Of course I'm a gun guy. Right. But you go into any gun store and you're buying a pistol, the salesman at the counter says, are you a member of the NRA? Because yep. the manufacturers train them to do that. And they all know that that's the one organization that is paying the legal bills. And I don't get me wrong. I think, what the NRA has become is absolutely abysmal yes. for a sporting individual. 100% agree. But that's, we don't need to get into that right now. No. Um, <laughs> that's, their a machine, different, that's a different podcast. Yeah, exactly. But their machine is extraordinarily effective. And if you think of guns in America, the NRA is probably the first organization, if not the only organization that you think of. And that's very powerful and carries a lot of political clout for good or for bad. And so why we haven't figured out how to make this work is as an industry that's so old and people are so passionate and so dedicated and so caring. And it's such a community driven product anyway, that it just, it baffles me that it's taking us so long to figure this out and get it together. And, and we've got to stop getting lost in the, the what ifs and the details and commit to the plan and then go and we'll work out the details. Now that we know where we're driving the car, we'll figure out how to make the car go after the fact. Right. No, I, 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 I 100% agree with that. Yeah, and, and I think honestly, and I, I can't get into details, but there's been, you know, without having the show this year, it's obviously given the PCA board a lot of other things to focus on and worry about and think about. And it's been a very positive and negative 
and many, 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 many conference calls kind of hashing through this stuff. But I think some of these concepts are finally starting to come together. And it's one of the potential silver linings of COVID that now that we don't have a show and we have real issues and fundamental problems that are coming because of COVID, we're going to be solving that together. And I think it's going to make us stronger because of it. Right. I'm not too far into the political weeds here with the PCA and, and, and some of the infighting and all of that. But I do know that there were, there was uh, at least one uh, company that pulled out and they, they specifically said the PCA wasn't helping them or fighting for them because they were basically an online retailer. Do you think COVID has changed that or softened that position with the PCA that there's, yeah, there's a need for that. That, that message was not exact. Well, not very transparent. And I, I understand the disappointment. I also thought it was kind of a joke to compare that online company to a family owned small business. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Because, because that's just not even remotely accurate compared in a mom and pop owner operator brick and mortar store to that particular online giant who probably controls 20% of the online sales of cigars, 20% of the cigars sold in America. Right. So it, it, that was a joke to me that that was his complaint. You know, you have to, the politics of that argument are very difficult. And we actually are having these conversations now because, you know, you can complain, you, you look at it and it, it immediately becomes tax parity is what's wrong with selling online. It's not fair because PA and Florida have no tax. Illinois has high tax. California and New York state have really high tax. Right. And every state collects their taxes differently and levies them different. And so it's a huge pain in the ass to manage. So I fully understand why someone in one of those tax-free states says, let it rip, we're doing fine. The PCA is not against mail order by any stretch of the imagination, but the bulk of our members, you know, it's not dollars, it's, it's members, our brick and mortar stores. And they see the tax issue as a huge problem, myself included. However, I would never vote for anything ever to say we should not allow mail order cigars, period. I will work around the tax. I will understand I'm not going to become a, quote, famous online retailer <laughs> because we're never going to do that kind of volume. We don't buy, you know, a company's end of bin sales at 20 cents on the dollar and then blow them out for cheap just to throw stuff around. Right. But we can still ship to our customers and, and take care of guys that like our store or like the product we have, and we're working around that. I mean, I'm, I'm currently working at registering as a licensed retailer for the state of Michigan because we have a lot of customers there. And instead of them getting angry letters from the state of Michigan looking for tax money and having to be worried about that, we're just going to get licensed. We're going to pay the 50 cents a cigar for orders. And if people don't like that, they can go buy somewhere else. But if they like that service we're offering, they'll take advantage of it. Right. It's, it's not a big deal. It's more bookend work for me because I have to file these tax reports but I'll do it to help my customers if that makes sense and it makes their life easier to get cigars without getting angry letters from the state of Michigan saying you owe us 50 cent cigars plus 500% penalty tax or whatever it is. So, you know, it's, this is going to get worked out and it has to sooner than later because the worst thing that could happen is Congress decides to just lump cigars into the Jenkins act and say, there's no non face to face purchases for tobacco period, like what happened with cigarettes and smokeless. Right. I mean, I don't want that ever. Even if the tax in Illinois was 300%, I don't want that. It's uh, 
so we have to have a message that makes sense where we can come up with some parody. It's just an extremely complicated issue. And unfortunately on that one issue that the PCA wasn't advocating for that one company, he took it as a blah, blah, blah insult, which was completely ridiculous because it's an extremely complex issue and we can't piss off every brick and mortar store who had a position versus what his position was. Right. And I think that's where, and this is just, again, an outsider, uh, a guy who wants to, you know, report on this stuff. I think that's where having one voice would be extremely helpful because as somebody who, who's nearest B&M is an hour and a half away now. And before that one opened right before COVID hit and God, I hope it stays open. Uh, the nearest one was two and a half hours away. So yeah. for, for me, ordering online is l- almost the, the only way I can get cigars and the new shop, they don't carry everything that I want. And the shops uh, two and a half hours away don't carry everything that I want. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's foolish to think that we should get rid of this. You know, in answer kind of your question, the one voice would absolutely be a huge help. And it's the unfortunate kind of, this is why certain blogs and websites just glaze over the intricacies of this. And I get it because most people don't really enjoy policy like I do. But um <laughs> but you you're talking about the major online retailers are owned by manufacturers. So their interests as retailing manufacturers to get them on board with an organization that was retail, the design was to protect the retailer. It becomes really difficult to start balancing all these nuances, which is why you see the CAA versus CRA versus PCA on Capitol Hill, because they all have their finite interests. And you know, it's interesting to me because you look at the cigars you're buying and, and CAA is like the companies where it's the name of the guy is on the band and he's the dude who runs the company versus some of the big guys who are really pushing the internet side of things. And those are, you know, appointed board members who may be around in three years, maybe not that, that position rotates. And then you've got the retail stores where, you know, we're a single store that's been around since 63. I one race has been around for, the dawn of time in Chicago, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's them and uh, AJ's in Boston are like, who's the oldest store in the country. And so, you know, the, the, the interest of all these different things are so hard to, to merge, which is kind of going back to my point. You've got to figure out what the main goal is and agree that we're going to fight together for that and then work out the little stuff, at least in the same house, but go through the differences when we're already committed to working together versus running back to your separate camp. And, and that's, I mean, it, imagine this country didn't have Democratic and Republican parties and it was just you voted for the guy and they stood up and gave their platform. How much more would get done? Because yep. they don't have their respective camps to go run back to and, and celebrate tribalism. Let's just talk and work and have communication and understand we're all fighting for the same thing fundamentally and we'll work out these little differences as we go. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I, I talked to Glenn last week or uh, uh, last episode about the uh, the divisiveness in the country. And I, I hate to see it seep into into cigar politics, but it's everywhere now. And so I guess it is what it is. And hopefully uh, we can we can come together uh, as an industry and figure this out, hopefully sooner than later. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll say I'm, I'm optimistic about that straight up with the, the work the PCA is doing and uh, some of the CRA boards are doing and some of the conversations happening have been really positive. I think there's finally kind of getting to a point 
that people understand that if any one of these organizations has a problem, it's going to affect everyone else because everyone's still really integrated, even though they're in separate camps on the hill, so to speak. So there's kind of a, a, a reckoning of this matters more than our little differences. Let's start really putting into paper and come up with ideas. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I see it happening and I'm optimistic about it. Good. Well, that gives me hope then, because I'll be honest, you know, when you read the news, or you watch the news, everyone's so divided and there's just so much, I don't even know how to put it. Like everyone's angry with everybody else. I don't want, I don't want to see that, uh, you know, in, in my hobby and my escape from, from reality. I don't want to see that. So uh, yeah. And and the annoying thing is that everyone's angry with everyone else when they're being asked about it. And then as soon as you stop talking about that, everyone's having a beer together and hanging out and smoking anyway. Right. So, you know, the, the concept that it's this divided is, is that way in pictures and in a flashing second. But in reality, everyone gets along and everyone's working together. So we just need to bring that in-house and commit to it as a platform. And we can work out the differences together versus working them out from our separate camps. And, and I think we're getting there. I think that's, uh, you know, I mean, that's why I stay on the board of the PCA. I, I, Diana was adamantly in support of the, the RTDA and IPCPR. I might've mentioned she was the first female president. Mm -hmm. She considered that to be the most important week of the year because it's when you got all these business owners together who all were selling cigars, which she loved and you could network and learn from each other and fight for the industry together and showcase new products and, and share ideas. And she loved it. It was absolutely critical to her to go to that and hated when she couldn't travel anymore, even though she wouldn't have known what the hell was going on. She was furious at me when I didn't book her a flight to the show one year. She found out <laughs> I was going without her. Like that was, she was just, she was beside herself. And fortunately it didn't last very long, but uh, it, it's, it's such an important event. And I think it has so much more potential than it does now because we didn't have to do that before, but as legislation has changed and policies change and information flies so much faster than it used to, we have to evolve and get better at what we're doing. And I, and I honestly think that's happening. We're on the way. Good. That's, if, I, that's if, if you ever hear that I've suddenly resigned, it means <laughs> the ship is sinking. And I will. I'm pissed. Yeah, no, I'm, I will immediately send you a message and be like, so what the hell is going on? Yeah. Cause that just means I'm so angry that there's nothing left for me to do, but either shoot up a building or just go home. And I'm not going <laughs> to shoot up a building. So it's, 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 it's going it's home straight up. Like, yeah, that's just, that's it. It's yeah. too much. Well, I don't want to end on that note. So I'm going to ask you the same thing I have asked every uh, lounge owner, every B&M owner that I have interviewed um, before you. The same, I'm going to ask you the same thing I've asked them. What is the most wildest, craziest thing you have seen in your store? Oh, man. I got it. You should have prepped me on this one so I could have thought about it. <laughs> you know, every store has such a crazy cast of characters. and you know, everyone says they should do a reality TV show in the cigar shop. And yeah, you could, but you know, it's, it's also kind of stupid because every store is a little different and, it's, and they all have crazy people because they're dealing with people. You know, the wildest is, is tough because I've actually been off on the days where really crazy stuff seems to happen. <laughs> like more often than not, like there was a fire in one of the humidors one day when a, a spark had gotten exposed to the moisture and it all of a sudden like the front of the, our, one of the cabinets was on fire. Of course, I wasn't there for that. Like, apparently, um, what's the guy from 
from Kung Fu. David Carradine, is that his name? Yeah, David Carradine. Yeah, he was in one day apparently. It was all like looking for imported cigarettes. We would stop carrying and then we, we carry walking sticks. And apparently he took out the walking stick and started whipping it around like it was a staff and he was doing all these crazy ninja moves and almost crashing into glass but never quite hitting it just because. <laughs> it's just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, the parties always devolve into some sort of insanity. But, you know, I, I, I will say this. I think the most uh, – it's not crazy by any stretch, but I'll, I'll never forget this. It's one of the most memorable experiences of my life in that store, and it's totally stupid because it's a celebrity sighting. But I was probably only working there for maybe two years at most. And I've lived in Chicago through the nineties, massive Bulls fan, massive Michael Jordan fan. And I'd heard stories that all his people come in and buy humidors for Mike and all this shit. And he comes in, I'd never met him. I'm sitting there. It's me and like one of the guys, it's quiet in the store, the middle of an afternoon. I'm like a Tuesday or whatever. A gentleman walks in with a hat on, says hello. I say, how are you, sir? I look up, look back down, and then realize that I had just looked at Michael fucking Jordan walking into the up-down. <laughs> and so I was, I was the only one on the floor. I have no idea if I turned red, but I was like shake. All my organs were shaking. I was so excited that his heirness, Michael Jordan, was actually here, and I was going to sell him something. Hopefully, he just didn't want his parking validated or something. And, and I'll never forget it because he said he needed a cigar case for some friends. I'm showing him stuff. I'm not trying to just assume it's the most expensive because I'm new and I'm still like, well, I have these cases here for 50 bucks and these are the Dunhills over here. He's like, yeah, I'll take two of those and one of these and this one here. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome and ridiculous. Got everything together, got them boxed up, brought them to the counter. And I tell him the total. And he pulls out a wad of cash like it's thick as a freaking soda can. <laughs> with the rubber band around it it peels off the bills and lays them down, takes the stuff. And all I could think of was God, I would have killed to get that rubber band just to have Michael Jordan's cash wrap rubber band would have been the coolest thing in the world to me. That at is that a moment. weird thing to want. Totally weird. But I'm like, what else do you ask from a guy? Like what would be that cool and so weird? And you know, you think about it, most of these guys are going to come in with the Amex black or whatever, but this dude rolls in in a red Adidas track jacket or track suit and a black Kangol hat and just pulls out that. And all I could think it was, man, that'd be cool to have that fucking rubber band. That would be awesome to have Jordan's cash rubber band. And I even think about it like I should offer him another rubber band and see if he'd give me that because why would he care? But right. it was also, I was so overwhelmed and so excited I couldn't do anything. And we said like five words to each other. It didn't matter. I just, it was. That was like one of the most, especially being younger, that was such a memorable experience that I'll never forget it ever just because that was Michael Jordan in Chicago in my cigar shop. It was just the coolest thing ever. He's one of the, one of the few guys, uh, celebrities, right, that I would want to sit down and just smoke a cigar with. We don't have to say anything. He doesn't even oh, have yeah. to acknowledge that I'm there. Yeah, I just, just want to. The presence was amazing to me. Yeah. And he walked in by himself. There's no entourage. There was nothing. He pulled up in the lot next to us, gave the, the valet guy, gave him his ticket. He walked in solo. And this is, it's insane to me that Michael Jordan walks around to buy his own cigar cases randomly because he's <laughs> Michael freaking Jordan. He's Michael he has, Jordan. Exactly. You have people for this. Like, right. right. You, you have, a, you have people. I watched the last dance. You have people for this. 
yeah. So it was, it was just, that to me is completely crazy because if, if it hadn't been, you know, two in the afternoon, whatever on the Tuesday it, coming on a weekend, you know, back then no one hung out in the store anyway, cause you could smoke everywhere in Chicago. So right. we, we didn't have any seating cause no one ever asked for it. You come in buy cigars and go to every bar up and down the street. So a little bit different, but uh, yeah, you know, a little bit. it was fantastic. We we have we have so much fun there. There's a lot of crazy stories. I'm think I'm just on the spot, and that's the one that I kind of always just triggers the most emotional response. No, I'm a, that I'm a huge Jordan fan. I grew up watching Jordan. Uh, like he was he was it. And like, yeah, I, I mean, I got to see him play once at Old Chicago Stadium when I was in high school. Like that was everything back then. Was wow. the Bulls in Chicago yeah. was the shit. Yep, yep, and so being. You know, I'm only like three or four hours away from Chicago, so I like, you know, I I still never got up there to to do my dad's like their tickets are too expensive. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, and, and I and I I remember my dad got a pair of tickets, and me and my best friend went, and it was like the coolest thing ever. And I don't even remember who they played or who won the game. It was just so exciting to be at Old Chicago Stadium up in the nosebleeds. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter, right? Like, you stand up and lean forward, and you're gonna fall onto the floor because it was crazy dangerous back then in that stadium. It was yeah, so it was. steep and, and ridiculous. <laughs> but it was the Bulls, and it was just great to actually see Jordan on the court, and then to have him come into the shop after the obsessing and posters and. Wearing Air Jordans and, and the baseball the cards. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had the cardboard cutout with the ruler next to it, all that shit. And it was, I mean, I had the I'd Be Like Mike cassette when that yeah. song came out. Like, it was everything in, as a kid in Chicago. If you liked basketball, that was it. So, Oh, yeah, you put the cardboard cutout on, like, some plywood, and I would shoot over it. I used to play ball in high school. So <laughs> just fantastic. shoot over it like i'm shooting over jordan and now yeah, take, take that michael that's right so hot now <laughs> yeah now i'm old and fat and you can still whip my ass on the court so there yeah, you go exactly <laughs> phil uh, better up down cigar 1550 north wells old town chicago illinois uh, you can give them a call 805 up down that's 805 up down go to their website updowncigar.com i got all that right right that is correct and i always encourage anyone um I, I do see and check my emails mostly in a reasonable amount of time. And if you ever want to reach out directly, it's Phil P H I L at updowncigar.com. Any questions about this or anything else? If I can't answer it, one of my guys will, but uh, you can reach me directly there anytime. Cause you know, I love what you guys are doing. I was not kidding when I say simply Sogi's crew, discord guys, Facebook guys, these communities I've been into have literally, you've kept all my staff employed and paid in full for the past few months. And I cannot thank you guys enough for the support. Reach out to me for anything, anything cigar related, even if it's just a question, I don't care. I love the community you guys have built and I want to continue and will continue to be a part of it. And anything I can do to help smoking cigars, I will absolutely do it. Yeah, absolutely. If you're in Chicago, go check them out. Next time you're in Chicago, go check them out. Tell them James from simply Stogie sent you. And the next time I'm in Chicago and COVID's all done and we can sit face to face, shake hands or fist bump or whatever we're supposed to do now. Uh, I will definitely do that. I can't wait to get up there, check out up down cigars and hang out with Phil. Uh, Phil, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Uh, your insight, your knowledge has been fantastic. And that Jordan story made my night. <laughs> Happy to help. And I, and I do want to say one thing, and it kind of goes back to some of that infighting about the online versus not online that I want to mention really quick. Cause it's important to me. Um, 
absolutely support your local B&Ms. I know taxes suck in a lot of states, but it's important to at least get the education, get the interaction. Obviously, up, down, and other stores are here if you can't find stuff, but I never, ever complain about people buying cigars elsewhere. I send people to other stores. If I know they're going to be in town where I have friends, I send them to the store. Anyone who's smoking cigars is good for my business at some point or another, and I appreciate everyone supporting their local B&Ms, their websites, whoever you can, and obviously any of that support that comes my way is awesome too. But uh, I'm not trying to be your only place to buy cigars, but if we get to be one of them, that's even better. But absolutely reach out for information for anything you need. We, all my guys are huge, huge cigar smokers and love the product and the, the camaraderie. So we're all here to help with anything we can do. Like he said, if uh, you can support your local B&M, please do so. Uh, if you're traveling out of town, find a local B&M. Can't afford a box? Buy a fiver. Just support them. Uh, in any way that you can. Phil, thank you so much again for uh, coming on Simply Stogies. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a lot of fun. And anytime or any questions, by all means, hit me up anytime. Thank you. And I will see you all next time where I'm not sure what I'll be talking about, but I promise it'll be Simply Stogies. Stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Please rate and review Simply Stogies on iTunes. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies.